0: I would invite you now to bow with me once more as we prepare to enter God's word. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you sent us your son, who is the word, the logos, and that by him we have your truth. Thank you that you've also given us your written word that reveals the divine word to us. And I pray that as we open your word, that by your spirit you would speak through me and speak to each one of our hearts exactly what we need to hear from you today. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. The renowned theologian by the name of Carl Barth was asked to be a guest lecturer at the University of Chicago Divinity School many years ago. Now, he gave a very lengthy and captivating lecture to close his time with the students, And after having gone through the entire weekend, at the close of his final lecture, the president of the seminary announced that Dr. Barth was not feeling well. He was, in fact, quite tired, and though he thought that Dr. Barth would like to be open for questions, he should not be expected to handle the strain. Then he said, therefore, I will ask just one question of the great, brilliant theologian on behalf of all of us. And so he turned to the theologian, and he asked him this question. Of all of the theological insights you have ever had, which one do you consider to be the greatest of them all? It was the perfect question for a man who had written literally tens of thousands of pages of some of the most sophisticated theology ever put into print. So the students, they held their pencils right up against their writing pads, ready to take down his words verbatim. The premier insight, the key of this great theologian. And Karl Barth, he closed his tired eyes, and he thought for a moment. Then he half-smiled, he opened his eyes, and he said, The greatest theological insight I have ever had in my life is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. On this fourth and final Advent Sunday before Christmas, our theme is love. All three previous advents of hope, peace, and joy have led us here to their culmination the perfect embodiment of love, wrapped up in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. For without the inexplicable love of God, expressed to us through Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. But this love that I'm going to be talking about this morning is not just a warm, fuzzy love this love that I'm talking about, the Bible, is translated from the Greek word agape, which is translated agape as the active love of God for his son and us. And so the key is active love. It's a robust and strong love that it fights and sacrifices itself on behalf of those who they love. So it's, it's an active love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a giving love. It's not about feelings or or warm fuzzies of romance. This is something far, far deeper that we are talking about this morning. And so as we revisit the all-important subject of God's love once more, I'd like to share with you four key truths this morning about love, four pillars that form the foundation for the complete, fulfilling, and exciting life of a follower of Christ. So pillar number one is this. Love is what we are designed for. Love is what we are designed for. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are created in the image of God in his likeness. So what does this mean? Well, the first thing it doesn't mean, it definitely doesn't mean that we are God. Some people have a hard time figuring this one out. They think, okay, I'm God. No, 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 we're not God, but we are created in his image or his likeness. So, in essence, we are designed to be like miniature copies of him. Physically, after the pattern of Jesus the Son. Spiritually, in that we have immortal souls. Like God, from the moment of our inception, we will not end. We are created to be immortal, to go on for eternity. Where that is, is what is hanging in the balance. But we are eternal, like the Father is. Emotionally, we are like the Father in that we are capable of feelings. We are capable of deep feelings, both good and bad. Intellectually, we are like the Father in that we can reason and think. Unlike the animals who can do mostly what they are um, instinctually trained or created to do, There's some training that can be done with animals, but there's no ability with the animal to ask the reason why. Why am I being trained to do this? They just do it. Whereas we as humans, we always ask why. We want to know the reasons behind things. And in this way, intellectually, we are like the Father. We are like the Father creatively, in that, like Him, we can imagine and produce something entirely new that has never existed before. No one else can do that in the entire world other than humans. We can think of and create something new. And finally, we are like the Father volitionally in the fact that we have the freedom of choice and free will. Now, though as a result of the fall and sin where we exercise that choice to go against the Father's will, we fall far short in fully realizing all of the aspects of God our Creator. And even though we fall short, the fact remains that we today are still designed in God's image. Every last one of us are image bearers of God. So this is an established fact. So then we must ask ourselves, well, what is God like? Who is he? What is his likeness? Well, there are many aspects to God that we could dive into, but the one I want to focus on this morning is the one that we found in our scripture passage. First John chapter 4, verse 8. We read three simple yet profound words, a three-word statement that says, God is love. God is love. Now, in this statement, we have to conclude immediately, this is not saying that God is just loving. This is saying more than just the fact that God will do things that are loving. No, it's saying something about God himself. It says, God is love. In other words, God didn't just decide one day that he was going to be a loving God. He didn't just make it up either. It's it's core to who he is. It's a part of his essence. God could no less be love than fire could no less be hot, water no less wet. It is so core to who he is that trying to differentiate God from love is utterly impossible because the two are intertwined. And so John not even attempting to differentiate love from God, simply declares, God is love. And so here, when we add these two truths together, we discover discover something incredible about ourselves. We are created in the image of God, who is love. We are created in the image of God, who is love. And now what this means for us is that what we are created for is that love is not just a nice add-on to our existence. It's not just a, an option on the side that we, you know, can do or, or not do. Instead, love, as we are originally designed, is to be core to our essence. So whether we have love or do not have love defines our very existence and what the outcome of our lives will be. As First Corinthians 13 states, the classic chapter on love. Paul writes, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So quite simply, what Paul is getting at here is that without love, we are missing the very core of our existence and purpose for our existence. So no matter what we do, he says, without love we gain nothing. And then he says no matter how smart or talented we are, without love we are nothing. That's what Paul says. We are nothing apart from love. Love is what gives our lives substance and meaning. It is what we were made for. For consider these questions. What is a home without love? It's a place to eat and sleep, maybe get some things done, but nothing more. What is a marriage without love? A contractual partnership with some mutual benefits in which perhaps to have and raise children, but nothing more. What is a friendship without love? It's an acquaintance with similar interests and hobbies, but nothing more. What is a church without love? It's a charitable organization or a social club, but nothing more. What is a life without love? It is an existence, one in which we draw as many breaths as we can and go to and fro on the earth for as long as we can before we die. But nothing more. That is a life without love. Love is what fills in and colors all of life. Without it, we're like a flower deprived of the sun's rays, but with it, we thrive like a fresh wheat field after a spring rain. That's the difference of a life with or without love. You know... Different ways of putting it, just as certainly as fish were designed for swimming and birds were designed for flying and golf balls were designed for hitting into water hazards and McDonald's Happy Meals were designed for little boys age five and seven respectively, whatever analogy you want to use, all people, all of us, every last man, woman, and child on every continent, on this entire planet, were designed for love. It's hardwired into us by our creator who designed us in his likeness, in his image. So I want you to look at yourself not as something where love is separate from who you are. No, it's core to who you are. This is by design. It's not an accident. We are created in the image of God who is love. It's what we are designed for. That's pillar number one. Pillar number two. Love comes from God, not ourselves. Love comes from God, not ourselves. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8. If you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to be spending our time in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So here we see in plain language, the source of our love is not from within ourselves, but comes from God himself. Now, in order to fully understand this, we first need to understand an extremely, and I mean extremely complex concept. Okay, are you ready for this? Here it is. You can't give away something you don't already have. I know this is complex, so I'm going to repeat it one more time because you're glazing over on me, okay? Make sure you all get this. You can't give away something you don't already have. The reason I know that this is a complex concept is because there's not a single politician who's figured this one out yet. (laughs) You can't give away something you don't already have. Now, if I were to tell you at the close of this service that as I'm shaking hands, I'm going to give each one of you a check for $1 million as you leave. Oh, now your eyes are getting big, right? You're perking up now. Okay, $1 million. I'm going to hand each one of you a check on your way out. No matter what I promise you, no matter how many zeros I put on that check, if you go to the bank on Monday and attempt to cash that check, it's going to bounce higher than a grain elevator. Why? Because I can't give you something that I don't have. And that's exactly how most people are with love. They're trying to give away something that they don't have. And the reason they don't have it is because they think that it's something that they have to conjure up from within themselves. They have to create it apart from a relationship with God. So in order to have love, we must first receive love from God who is love and is the source of love. Do you try to come up with love from within ourselves, apart from God, the best, the very best that humans can do is conditional love. The kind of love with strings attached, where I'll do something loving for you, but it has to be reciprocated. Otherwise, I'm going to stop. Right? That's the very best that people can come up with apart from God. But God has another level of love. Agape is unconditional. There are no strings attached. This is, is the kind of love that God has and wants to give to each one of us. And so in order to have this, we must receive it from him. We cannot conjure it up from ourselves. That's pillar number two. Number three, love is a gift. It cannot be earned. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world... That we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, we began this sermon with the story of the great theologian Karl Barth, who said the greatest theological insight that he had ever had is this Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Who here learned that from their mother? Yeah, most of us did, right? We don't need to go to seminary to learn this. This is something so core, so important. We learn this, most of us, if you had a good Christian mother, you learned this from her. And we all know the children's song by memory. But let me ask you, is this truth buried deep in your heart? For while Jesus' love for you is the most basic of all Christian doctrines, it's the most basic, it's why we put it in a children's song and we sing it to our our babies, I sing it to Addie every single night, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and Jesus loves me. Every night, she's ingrained in this. It's the most basic of all Christian doctrines, and yet, I would submit to you, it is the hardest one for many people to truly receive. Jesus loves me. And the reason is they either feel unworthy of it or that somehow they must earn this love. In his book, Enjoying God, Lloyd Ogilvie writes this My formative years ingrained in me the quid pro quo attitude in all my actions do and you'll receive, perform and you'll be loved. When I got good grades, achieved, and was a success, I felt acceptance from my parents. My dad taught me to fish and hunt and worked hard to provide for us, but I never heard him say, Lloyd, I love you. He tried to show it in actions, and sometimes I caught a twinkle of affirmation in his eyes, but I still felt empty. Then when I became a Christian, I immediately became so involved in discipleship activities that I did not experience the profound healing of the grace I talked about theoretically. I'll never forget as long as I live the first time I really experienced healing grace. I was a postgraduate student at the University of Edinburgh. Because of financial pressure, I had to accordion my studies in a shorter than usual period. Carrying a double load of classes was very demanding, and I was exhausted by the constant feeling of never quite measuring up. No matter how good my grades were, I thought they still could be better. Sadly, I was not living the very truths I was studying. Although I could have told you that the Greek words for grace and joy are charis and kara, I was not experiencing them. My beloved professor, Dr. James Stewart, that slightly built dynamo of a saint, well, he saw into my soul with x-ray vision. And one day in the corridor of New College, he stopped me. He looked me in the eye intensely Then he smiled warmly. He took my coat lapels in either of his hands. He drew me down to a few inches from in front of his face, and he said to me, Dear boy, you are loved now. And for the very first time, my heart finally understood. I didn't need to earn God's love or approval, for he loved me right now, exactly as I was. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love him because he first loved us. My friends, this is is the heart of it. If you miss this, you miss everything else. God loved you first. God loved you first. Before you did one thing for him before you said one word to him, before you even thought about him, God loved you first. He loved you with an everlasting love. And in fact, no matter your present spiritual condition, you know, you could just be in church today because it's Christmas and that's what you do and that's fine and you're not really too keen on what I'm talking about up here. But let me just say, if that's you today, If you're just lukewarm or indifferent to God right now, let me tell you, God loves you with an unending love. An unending love. An eternal love. He loved you first. He loves you now. No matter what you think or feel about him. It's a love so extravagant and costly that he expressed it in the form of his son, something so expensive you could never afford it. And even if you tried, it is a love so grand that if you were to earn it with an infinite amount of lifetimes that you could just repeat over and over again, you still couldn't do enough to earn it. Because it's, it's unearnable. It simply is. It's, it's too big. It's too much. There's only one way to receive it. As it's given. Freely freely it is given, freely it must be received as a gift. Just like those Christmas presents that are all neat and tidy wrapped up under trees right now, I don't think one of you is going to go to Christmas Eve or Christmas morning and and when that gift is handed to you, you're going to ask the person who gives it to you, I don't think one of you is going to do this, how much? How much do I owe you? Right? You're not going to do that. Or it wouldn't be a gift. Freely it must be given. Freely it must be received. It's the only way. Now, this doesn't mean that God condones of our sin. What it means is that God loves us so much that he has personally dealt with our sin and the punishment that it rightly deserves by taking it on himself. And so, as incredible as it is, the very sin that God hates, and I mean he hates it, we tolerate it. We wink at it. We play around with it. God hates our sin. And He hates it so much that He willingly took it on Himself so that we could be with Him. As others have said, because God is love, there's nothing you've done that could make Him love you any less. And there's nothing you could do that could make Him love you any more. Isn't that profound? There's nothing you could do that would make him love you any less. And there's nothing you could do that would make him love you any more. He loves you now. In full measure, holding nothing back because he gave you his son. There is nothing greater, my friends. He loves you now. And if you ever doubt the depth of that love, just think about the love of Christ, stretched out on a cross where he was nailed because of love so that we could spend eternity with him, beginning now. The love of God that drove him to offer his perfect son is the love that as a Christian you are meant to have. And you say, well, I'm only human. You know, I don't have that kind of love. And that's right. You're exactly right. You don't have that kind of love, and that's why love that we're talking about cannot be a matter of a pastor's guilt trip on you this morning, or a self-help program, or a book you pick up somewhere that says, Five Ways to Be More Loving. It's not going to work. It has to be the real deal. It has to be something that flows from God himself by the Holy Spirit into your heart, and that is why the very first thing listed in the fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the rest come after. But love is at the principal place of importance because that comes first. But it cannot be forced. It cannot be earned. It cannot be faked. It can only be received. And when we embrace that God loves us exactly as we are right now, ugly and all, sin and all, addictions and all, He loves us as we are right now. Romans 5 verse 5 says this. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. So let me ask you. Has God's love been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit? Some of you are thinking right now. Yeah, I think so. But it was a long time ago. Well, the good news is this, friends. God's love is not just a one-time shot. It's not just a one-time deal. He wants it, he has designed it, in fact, to be a constant and never-ending flow from his heart to ours. So let me encourage you today. Right now, tune out that nagging voice in your head that's telling you this message isn't for you. It doesn't apply to you. Maybe it applies to someone else. Tune that voice out. Tune out that voice that says, but you know what, Danny? I haven't done enough yet. Tune out that voice that says, you know, I just haven't been good enough this year. And maybe next year, you know, New Year's resolutions right around the corner. Next year, I'll get my my life in order and then I will really embrace this. Tune that voice out because it's all a lie from Satan. It's a lie. Tune that voice out. Listen to the whisper of the Spirit. Because he's the one who pours love of God into our hearts. The Spirit is the one who says, Dear child, you are loved now. You are loved now. Receive that today. And pillar number four, this love that we receive is designed to be received and given. Received and given. 1 John 4, 11 and 12, he links it all together. Beloved, if God so loved us, and take the if out, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, God has designed us, his children, to be the principal channel of his love to the world. Now, since he has freely given us his love, he now desires... For us to receive it, but not be hoarders. Not be those who would take love and say, I'm going to hold on to it tightly. Because you know what actually happens? When we do that, our love diminishes. He says what completes our love is when we receive it and we give it. We receive it and we give it. This completes God's love within us. Rather than having less when we give it away, we actually have more because the more we give the more we have the capacity to receive and it begins a flow in our lives jesus said this i'm the vine you are the branches remain in me and you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing so this is this idea of a constant flow we're abiding in christ the fruit of his love comes into us and we share it with others and then when the fruit is lacking what do we do try harder No. When the fruit is lacking, we must press in closer to Jesus. Confess our lack of love. Ask him to grow that within us as we abide in him. Because this isn't about us trying harder without him. We must grow closer to him. And then God and his power will flow through us in love towards others. There's a true story of a young teenager named Mark. And Mark was walking home from school one day when he noticed ahead of him on the street this boy that he'd never seen before who had just tripped and dropped all of his books flat out on the street. And in addition to his books that he dropped, there were two sweaters, a baseball bat, a glove, and a tape recorder strewn out like a yard sale on the street. He noticed this boy he could have walked past, but something inside him said, help this boy. So, Mark stopped. He knelt down. He helped this boy pick up his yard sale of items on the street. He dusted them off. They stacked them back up. He said, You're carrying so many things. Let me help you. So, he took some of the boy's things. They were going the same way, and he carried them for him. As they kept walking down the street, Mark learned the boy's name was Bill. Bill loved video games, baseball, and history. He also learned that Bill was having a lot of trouble with his subjects in school, he was close to failing. He learned that he'd just broken up with his girlfriend. They arrived at Bill's home first, and Mark then was invited in for a Coke and to watch some TV. Bill and Mark spent the afternoon together. They had some laughs, they shared some small talk, and Mark went home. They continued to see each other around school after that. They had lunch together once in a while. They eventually ended up going to the same high school where they were in contact over the years. Finally, the long-awaited senior year came, and three weeks before graduation, Bill asked Mark if they could get together for a talk. Bill reminded him of that day years ago when they had first met. He said, Do you ever wonder why I was carrying so many things with me from school that day? Well, you see, I was cleaning out my locker because I didn't want to leave a mess behind for everyone else. You see, I had stored away some of my mother's pills, And I was going home that afternoon to commit suicide. So you see, Mark, when you picked up my books for me that day, you did way more than you know. You saved my life. Just as God long ago proved his love for us was real by putting it into action, so too. We prove to a skeptical and disbelieving world that Jesus' love is real by putting it into action in real and tangible ways. Small ways. You wouldn't even think twice about helping someone pick up their books. But Mark doing that that day saved someone's life without him even knowing it. And who knows, even the smallest acts of love that you could do today, tomorrow, and the day after may do way, way more in the recipient's life than you can even imagine right now. Because it's not about what you can do, it's about what God's power is doing through you as we obey him and are in step with the Holy Spirit. Something as small as helping someone pick up their books could in fact save their life and change their eternity. And so my prayer for us this Christmas time is that we would receive these truths. Love is what we are designed for. That love comes from God, not ourselves. That the love is a gift that must be received. Love is designed to be poured out richly in each one of our hearts. And may this Christmas time It flow freely from us to others by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Christ Jesus. For this is the love that changes the world. Amen. Heavenly Father, how richly you have blessed us, how extravagantly, that we should be called children of God, that you so lavished your love upon us that you saw us as worth saving, as worth dying for, as worth suffering for in the worst possible way, all for the sake of your great love. And so I pray, Lord, today for anyone here today who's struggling with this very basic yet essential truth that Jesus loves me. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just remove the barriers to the heart that each one of us could know and receive right now, this very moment, you love us now. Not as we want to be, not as we were in the past, or or maybe we could if we tried harder. No, you love us now, exactly as we are. And so I pray, Lord, that receiving this love would do something powerful in each one of our hearts and our lives today. And that it wouldn't just end At the close of this service but that it would carry forward lord as we celebrate christmas which really is to say we celebrate your great love for the world and so lord as we celebrate your love this christmas time may it flow into our hearts and flow freely from our hearts to those around us and especially lord to those who are lonely and hurting and broken and those who do not yet know you May they see the love of Christ in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, for your glory. Amen.